Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Thibodeau. Bubbly. Bubbly. <laughs> Dude. Was that gross? That was gross. That sounded gross. I wasn't even drinking anything. What kind of bubbly you got there, pal? I got black. This bubbly is black cherry. Berry. Blackberry. You said black cherry. <laughs> I said blackberry. No, you said I've got raspberry or do you want black cherry? Mm-mm. I said I've raspberry. I've been spending this whole time thinking I'm drinking black cherry bubbly. Mm. Bubbly also isn't isn't champagne, in case anyone's No, wondering. it's it's sparkling water. It's, it, yeah. That's what it is. With it, zero calories, I might say. Mm-hmm. And it also has, this is always my favorite, um, blackberry flavor with other natural flavors. Yeah. What are those flavors? <laughs> Why can't you tell us? <laughs> I want to know what those flavors are. <laughs> like, Taco Bell that says made with real beef. Like, yeah, but how much? <laughs> I want to know how much. What are we talking about here? Come on. Well, cool. Well, hey, man. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good, man. Now that I know that I'm drinking blackberry bubbly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry for the surprise. No, it's fine. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's we, been a good day. How about you? How long yeah, have you dude, been? It's, work has been work. It's been, it's been halfway wicked decent. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we are on part five. Part five. Final part. Yeah. The final part. Yeah. We're yeah. we're going to take the last two, put them into one. Um, yeah. This has been this has been really fun yeah. doing giving kind of like a base groundwork for all of this. Yeah. Of how history has looked very briefly throughout the ages. Yeah. We will definitely backtrack because there's tons of stuff we skipped, like mm-hmm. tons of stuff so we skipped much. over. There's so much. So we got tons of content yeah. for the future that we will knock out. So um, in today's episode, the final episode of our Church Through the Ages series, we will be touching on the age of ideologies mm-hmm. in the global expansion, which will be from approximately the year 1900 to the present. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Let's do, you, do this. You want to ask our first question, sir? First question is <clears throat> question one. And these are the same three questions. If you've been listening to any of them, if you haven't go back to the very beginning, it's awesome. Three questions kind of as we look through church history. Question one of these three is how did the church govern? How did it govern? Well, that's a great question, Josh. Thanks for asking me, man. I just came to you me. know. I know it was very heartfelt. It was. Yeah. Um, So the uh, church governed during this age, it's kind of weird. So there's a couple different dynamics going on. The first dynamic that we need to look at on the Protestant side of things is the rise of liberalism. Mm -hmm. And in response to that, the rise of fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. So if we look at those two camps within Protestant world during there was the the liberal church typically the liberal churches were were part of the mainline denominations like Methodist Presbyterian Lutheran Anglican or Episcopal yeah. these denominations particularly within the United States 
and some in Europe as well. Um, the the leadership and the hierarchy, the the governmental structure of the church, because it was more episcopal, or more of this governmental organization over local churches. Once liberals got in there, it kind of trickled down and affected a lot of the churches. So this is where we see the split of the uh, the Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. into the Presbyterian Church USA, mm-hmm. which is very liberal, and then the Presbyterian Church of America, which is conservative, and then the even more conservative Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and so on and so forth. There's plenty of them. Um, and all of these major denominations ended up splitting over this issue of liberalism. And if you're not super familiar with uh, with liberalism, we don't necessarily mean political liberalism. Right. What do we mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have a fantastic answer for you. What is it? <laughs> I really don't. I don't have a great description. I, I was not expecting you to ask me. That. <laughs> You're like, oh, Isaac's talking. I'll just <laughs> let him take that one. Oh, I was. <laughs> I just like queued you up for all this stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, Josh is going to give a great answer. Okay. No, I, I wasn't goofing off. I, I was looking up. I was trying to think. There's a great documentary I saw about that that specific split between the PCA and the PCUSA, oh. and it was really good. And I really I was trying to find it, so I was not prepared at all to answer <laughs> that. I can okay. briefly fumble through it, but I did not have anything. I'll just prepared. say something. I just felt like I was talking too much at the front. The front. So I'll, no, you're I'll, great. Okay. I'm I'm prepped and ready to go, but not about that. Okay, well I'll finish it then. So the liberalism we're speaking of is theological liberalism, which basically is an unhinging from historic Christian thought. Yep. So views of Jesus being God, that was thrown in the trash. Views yep. of Jesus being born of a virgin or a literal resurrection, mm-hmm. literal bodily resurrection, or the authority and infallibility of the Christian scriptures. All these things were under attack um, by the liberal church, and they were just kind of focusing more on like the social justice aspect of what Jesus taught, which in many ways is is a they're it's a good thing. Like the social justice aspect is 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 not bad um, entirely, though. Of course, we'll have more to say about that at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, nonetheless, that's kind of what happened. The theology just kind of died, and mm-hmm. with it. The the church just died. Um, the liberal denominations they really just stopped caring about the Great Commission and what it actually is, and just kind of focused on charity work and all these other things. Which again is like it's nice, but that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to bring the gospel to the nations. So we have that issue. Then on the flip side, we have the. Um, the conservative or the fundamental uh, fundamentalist churches in response mm-hmm. to the liberal. Yeah. And we kind of have a little bit of experience with that, don't we, Josh? We do. <clears throat> we do. I think probably more more so you than me. Um, my experience in it is is probably a lot more gracious um, than, than what you probably have experience with. Um, I grew up with a mother who was raised in the... Um, in the King James only, um, 
I don't want to say she she kind of grew up in that fundamentalist background, um, but not not very strongly. My grandfather was a great man um, who who loved his grandchildren very much and never once was any kind of like dominant domineering. Whenever he did talk to us, it was in love, um, but very much of that kind of um, cons very conservative background. The King James only. Uh, the King James Version was um, the only Bible you should be studying from. Not that everything else should be burned, but, you know, all that stuff. Anyways, I'm about right. to ramble. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is kind of what modern fundamentalism has kind of been known for and changed into. But the original fundamentalists weren't really like that. They yeah. were just Christians who wanted to hold to the Orthodox faith. Mm -hmm. And eventually the title fundamentalist became known for those particular groups that tend to be kind of um, very strict on certain issues that aren't actually fundamental to the faith. Very um, much the how what we see in scripture of like having the law and then building a hedge around that law to make sure that you never broke the law. I think yeah. it would be a way of how, how, how modern day fundament, fundamentalism looks right but and not at all how it was supposed to be yeah exactly fundamentalism was just a response to liberalism trying to fight for the historic christian faith and so honestly it was awesome and the, the cool part is we see while while the liberal churches are well liberal theology is pervading in those mainline denominations that have more of a um higher church government the churches that had more of a local church government, like your Baptist or Pentecostal churches, those churches exploded in growth during this time, <laughs> and the government was all local, and it was mostly conservative churches in this group. Mm -hmm. um, so that I think that's really interesting, that, that the ones that had less governmental authority, these are the ones that are actually growing and pursuing the Great Commission and all that, almost like the Holy Spirit is the one that leads the church and will make sure it prevails and hmm. not some structure outside of it. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an interesting thought. Sorry, my Baptist was showing there. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be more modest, I promise. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, very true. It, yeah, very true. Um, God blesses the Baptist churches. I right. think that's yeah. all. I think yeah, that's man. the point we're trying to get at. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, gosh. Awesome. No. No, not necessarily. Right, no, right. Lord's doing a great work with a bunch of different churches, but that, yeah. I mean that is in in general what you see: local church government thriving, um, higher church government dwindling. Right, um, right. Through That's red true. tape or through whatever you want to say, yeah. Um, just seem to be more heart and passion and individual Christianity. Not so. Not individual Christianity is like my this is my own personal and like no one touches it, but like the, the actual uh, involvement of the individual Christian. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much how the church government, as far as like the Protestant world is concerned. And we'll touch on super briefly. Um, Do we want to touch on the Vatican II thing? Yeah. Yeah. Would that, yeah, that would definitely be in church government. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah the Vatican, Vatican II showing up in, uh, 62, which I did not know this. Guys, You've, if you don't already, I've already talked to somebody in our church who who does have this book as well, but Church History and Plain Language. 
has been such a phenomenal read. That's what awesome we've been book. that's what we've been going through to grab all these information. Like you know, that's how we have these ages. We're following the guideline of the book. Um, but I didn't know about this until reading the book that Pope John started this, started the Vatican II um, w- within 90 days, or 90 days he announces of him becoming Pope that he wants to have a council. Um, but halfway through it, he dies. He ends up passing away. Um, and then the whole question was whether or not it would continue with Pope Paul, um, which it did, obviously. But yeah, Vatican II was kind of a tipping point for for Catholicism, um, where before, as you, if you listen to our last episode on not our last episode, but our last episode on Church Through the Ages, you know, we all remember that we talked about um, one of the downfalls of the Catholic Church during that time, during the time of progress, was they were clinging to the past and they didn't know how to enter into the 20th century, um, and. Here in Vatican II is their answer to that, um, of their deciding to join the the 20th century. Um, f- for the worst, <laughs> I think. I mean, I'm not Catholic, but I right. being a conservative Christian looking in, um, it it was a change to appease more to the world than to hold to what even what they would consider to be in in some senses. In other senses, it was really good, though, mm-hmm. because you had the other aspect of the fact that there was a lot more, it addressed the unity between Protestants and Catholics, so it allowed for a lot more of more discussion across the nominational lines in that regard, which is very healthy, I think. And it also, um, I believe it was around that time, and I could be mistaken, but it was around that time that English translations of the Catholic Bible started appearing. Whereas before it was mostly like focusing on the Latin, the Latin mass and the Latin scriptures and all that. And it seemed to be more um, regional after that, Um, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, I mean, that's good. And as far as it is, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's an upgrade in that regard, but in other ways, not so much. Right. Well, that's what I mean as, as, so I should clarify when I, when I see looking at that, I think any progress that the Catholic church makes to, <laughs> here's my process of Protestantism coming out, <laughs> any attempt they make to come closer towards interacting with Protestants is great for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in, in that regards, yes, the things that they did were great. Right. Um, as a, I was talking more as, a as, uh, as Catholicism, yeah. it seemed to be a breaking away of their ortho- their orthodox um, traditional teaching of a Catholic Church, and for say it seems like maybe forsaking some of that to be more accepting to their environment, yeah, more um, relevant, <clears throat> yeah, a little more open. For me, that's great because now there seems to be a. Uh, more of a relation relationship between Catholics and Protestants, where before it was the dirty um, Protestants that revolted against the true church. <laughs> right, so, right. Now that we're regard, seen as separated brethren. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on on that aspect, great. On the other aspect was definitely, I thought, a, the way I read it, a breaking away yeah. or a separating from their Orthodox Catholic teaching. Yep. And even within Catholicism, I know there's, great debate on 
the Vatican II and whatnot. But anyways, yeah, I think that that kind of sums it up. We're not Catholic, so we don't we won't talk a whole lot on that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Josh, let's go to question two. How did the church expand during the age of ideologies and the global expansion? So in one in one regards, we spent a lot of time talking about the the liberal church versus the conservative church, which was really great. Um, but a lot of what was happening, be at, especially near the closer to the beginning of the 1900s, but the beginning of the 20th century, um, there was not there was not very much um, expansion whatsoever. Um, during the the age when you read this book of the ideologies, there was great oppression mainly coming from the fascist and socialist communist regimes throughout the world that really sprung up more or less at the same time. Um, between the defeat of the German um, people with World War I, um, having to sacrifice a lot politically to, um, to the rest of the world, feeling as though they had something to make, uh, something to to make up for, something that to to fight against. That's where you see this rise of of Hitler and um, the Nazi Party. And not to get too much into that, but setting that small, mild framework for what would be an incredible persecution on the global church, um, or at least the European church, which had. Um, which really did have a huge effect on the rest of the world. Um, granted, the American church, um, the South American church, whether you're Protestant or Catholic, weren't really affected too much, except for how do we answer to this evil in this world as Christians. Um, but for Europe, it really shook these Christians to their core. Um, between, uh, on one hand, you had during the during the rule of Nazis, um, you had, um, oh, and I, th I think I'm getting some of my, some of my facts mixed up. Um, I'll start with Germany. So with them, there was a huge uprising because the entire country of Germany felt defeated from World War I. Um, not I mean, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not Christian, everybody felt defeated from World War One, and felt like they got um, a huge penalty. Right? That's a very I don't know what's the word I want to <laughs> penalty is not is not necessarily the best word for that, but all of them felt as if um, they were living much worse now after World War One because of what they had done. So. Um, Christian, non-Christian alike really wanted to gain back the power that Germany once had. So at the very beginning, you had a lot of Christians um, supporting Adolf um, in his rise to power because he looked to be a man who would bring um, the economy, would bring their social uh, national world platform status back as a country that could produce and not just a country that start that was involved with World War One and had terrible people. And Adolf provided a lot of promises for that. And so they got huge Christian support. Um, even the Pope providing a Concordat. Con yeah, I think it's called Concordat. Um, just like we saw with... Conquistador? Conquistador. That was it. <laughs> Conquistador. Conquistador. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. Um, but what, we, what I <laughs> talked about last time that uh, the Pope made with uh, uh, Benedict 
this this kind of Catholic promise with the world go- uh, with the leader at the time, and Adolf Hitler promised to leave them alone, um, leave the Catholic Church alone. They wouldn't have to be subjected to a lot of these things that he's going to bring on, which was a complete um, shutdown. This was both with Adolf Hitler, with Stalin, with Lenin, um, with all of these people, a complete shutdown of public and private Christian teaching. Um, so churches were being um, targeted. You had to um, be approved to be a church by the state. And even then you weren't even allowed to do very much. You couldn't you couldn't um, proselytize. And eventually Hitler drove back on his promise to the Pope and to the Catholic Church and came after them as well. Um, so all of that to say, there's a lot of politics that I don't want to go into. The book does a very good job explaining it. But essentially what we have is not expansion during that time period, but a very, a very big oppression of the church. So during that time, there was very little growth. But at the same time, um, in South America and in America, um, and then eventually globally was this incredible growth, um, of, of the church and mostly with, mostly with cares up. Charismatic, wow, mostly with charismatic Pentecostals. And the book provides this table of what exactly happened during that time. So in these different regions, um, you had all of these where we started in the early 1900s, kind of a low low number of church and then a huge boom um, that we see later on in closer to the year 2000. Yeah. Oh, I was just pointing at your microphone. Oh, I thought you were like, I'm going to start now. No. What was I doing? You were talking over here. That's my bad. So, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Well, we can still hear you. Good. Okay. Then I will, I'll aim a little bit better. I thought you were like, I, it's my turn. Uh, no, it's, it's not. my turn. Let no, me no. talk. It's still your turn, bro. Oh, good. I thought my time was enough. You promised me it's 15 minutes. <laughs> so professional (laughs) so professional especially when i stop playing with the cord yeah and i face the right direction okay so this is a great table that uh the book provides so number of charismatic pentecostal christians per million um in 1900 in africa was 0.9 so not even a million asia zero europe latin america north america oceana oceana all zero per million as far as numbers per million Number of charismatic Pentecostal Christians in millions in the year 2000, Africa, 126 million. Asia, 135 million. Europe, 37.6 million. Latin America, 141.4 million. North America, 79.6 million. Oceania, 4.3 million. We're talking about hundreds hundreds of millions of new converts, especially in this charismatic Pentecostal Christians in in a 100-year span. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people. Like that is, that's insane. That's mind-boggling. And there was this, we were kind of talking about this in our, in our pre-work for this. That was without political and governmental oppression to convert a group of people by expansion, like we see in certain parts of our history. Um, 
this was strictly an organic proselytizing evangelistic expansion. Yeah. Like there was no there was no side governmental political um war effort. Like we're talking about strictly ev- evangelistic um proselytizing and expansion and growth that way. It's incredible. That's insane. <laughs> like those are numbers that don't really exist in any in very many other parts of of world history, like right. this kind of growth in a hundred year span, right? Yeah, it's incredible, and that and that takes us right into the how the how the church witnessed during this time is its personal evangelism mm-hmm. and evangelistic crusades, too. Yep, like Billy Graham, Billy Graham, Billy Sunday. Yep. Uh, who else? I'm trying to think. No, pretty much just them. They were like the big crusades. They were the big ones. The t- yeah. There's, There's other, other things that happen, but like as far as yeah. evangelistic crusades. Yeah, yeah. It's in- it's incredible. Like all of that without a governmental structure forcing that on people. It's just yeah. people hearing the gospel, the word of God, and people responding to it in faith. That's awesome. And that of course... Awesome. With large numbers of people professing Christ, of course there's going to be people who are nominal who yeah. aren't really serious about it, but there are people who are serious about it because those numbers don't just come from nowhere, especially when it's organic like that. Right. Like there's, out of those millions, like millions, like yeah, all of, like, and, and oh man, I got to say this because, because I know the background I grew up with and hearing numbers like that, in, initial responses and, oh, praise God, it's, well, well, of course, how many you're of telling, them really mean it? When you're telling people, I'll give you all this if you say you believe in Jesus, of course they're going to say, I believe in Jesus. Right, <laughs> right. No. And it's it's like, yeah, there's people who, who evangelize right. for wrong motives and who don't preach the full gospel. Yes, there are. But but God will always work through his word. Wherever his word is preached, he, mm-hmm. will, he will work through it, regardless of how horrible the circumstances are. Right. He, he will. He will build his church. And... I mean, even if you don't mind, yeah. um, this is something I heard Paul Washer say. Um, so I, I I don't have a direct quote quote from Billy Graham, but he he was talking about it once during a documentary, and saying even Billy Graham um, mentioned that he, uh, he would be surprised if thirty percent of the people that profess Christ during his campaigns actually believed in in the gospel. So there's that reality too. Like even this even this man who um, did all of these things, like yes. Does does that table show that there were 100% verified, discipled, Christ-following people in those numbers? Who, I mean, who's who's really to know? But what we are seeing is, unlike anything before, a organic, and that's what we keep emphasizing. We keep saying that because it is throughout this whole process we've been going through church history. It's always been a government comes in, institutes Catholicism or Anglican. Um, yeah, some sort government of yeah, as like this is the state. Thing. This is the state religion, right. and you can either believe or we'll burn you. <laughs> <laughs> believe or burn. <laughs> oh man! So um, the point is, like, this is this is a big movement. Yeah, uh, a huge incredible. movement throughout the world. It's incredible. Yeah, it's super super cool. Yeah, and that we see that's that same kind of thing still going on today. It's still very like organic type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and to bring it into kind of the present, 
the way that the church is evangelizing now is there's still crusades going on. Mm-hmm. Um, not big names like Billy Graham anymore, but there are still like organizations that are outreaching and sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And now with the internet and social media, mm. uh, it has exploded. Mm. Things on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, Twitter. There's just so many even ways to TikTok. reach people with the gospel. What do you say? Even TikTok. Yeah, that's right. Even TikTok. <laughs> yeah, even TikTok. <laughs> it's just there's um, so many avenues now to share the word of God. And and again, like we we can't be, we shouldn't be pessimistic about that. Because mm-hmm. yes, it is very easy to look and say, oh, well, there's a lot of nominal Christianity and all that, right? But we're not the Lord of the harvest. Right. And we're not supposed to separate the wheat from the tares. Mm. That's that's God's job. What we do is we look for people who profess Christ as Lord. Mm-hmm. And then the cool part is, if we take them at that confession, then we have an excuse to get ourselves involved in their life, put our arm around them, and help disciple them. And maybe we'll uncover the fact that they really don't believe the gospel, and we get to share the gospel with them. But just by, just by accepting the fact that they are professing Christ as Lord and treating them as a brother, whether or not you're entirely convinced they are, mm-hmm. that will help actually get them to know, know the gospel better because you're not burning a bridge, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. That's not really in the notes, but I think that's a helpful thing. I've been sure. I'm like, where is this in the notes? It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's very, it's, it's very true. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, anything else on the, that last piece there? Yeah. So um, with that, I think, I, I mean, you did touch it, touch on it. There's, there's kind of a caution that we should take um, that we shouldn't be relying on this new, this new media to be the church for one. Um, if, if, you know, some of our listeners probably realize or have taken notice that we're in the middle of a pandemic worldwide um, and has talked about you know, to keep people safe, we should um, we should not gather in person for a time in order to have church online. Um, and it's I, I know that there's a lot of people out there have varying opinions, um, but the scripture is very clear that the whole point of the church is to be an ecclesia. An ecclesia is not the Greek word for church. Ecclesia is the Greek word for um, the called out one or the gathering, like yeah. like a public gathering. Yep. Um, so uh, we we do use that word for church because that's how it's used in scripture. Is talking about the church, not just a group of random people. Um, but we shouldn't be using social media as a means for the church. We should be right. using it as a means to witness about the church. Right. Go back to episode one. Go folks. back to episode one, dog. <laughs> Was that D A W G dog? It absolutely. Yeah. Was. All right, man. You gotta tip that hat sideways dip now. That hat. Oh, <laughs> I literally did. He told me to do it, so I did. <laughs> With it, I want to read a quote from from the the book uh, in the global expansion portion of the book, and in it, this the last edition. This is the fourth edition. This was written in two thousand and thirteen. So at that time, technology was not new. Um, it was probably at the, you know, it's still on the very much in, uh, going up 
as far as advances and stuff. And in it, and in it before what I'm about to read, he talks about the iPhone being introduced in 2007 and being standard for like college students um, and how technology is impacting the campus, the the companies, the private citizens, and all these different things. And he ends this portion of this paragraph with, evidence leads others to conclude that modern communications technology causes people to suffer from weakened capacity to concentrate and diminished creativity. Um, And I think time has shown that that played out. (laughs) So as much as this social media is, again, if we're learning, if we're doing anything about this church, um, church through the ages is we look through the past and try to learn from it. And do we look at the past and see social media through the last 2000 years of church history? No. Um, We see clinging to things that aren't the gospel Um, We see clinging to advances rather than the gospel through the age of progress that we listen to. All of these things that we try and deem as important as the gospel, deem as important as discipleship, and try and elevate those things. As great as technology is, it should not be something that we rely on. Um, And I I feel very strongly, and it, it breaks my heart to see churches trading in technology as a means to be the church in this time of a pandemic. Um, It hurts. Um, I don't think that we should all be going guns blazing, saying the pandemic can't hurt me because I'm a Christian. That's silly. That's Christian science. (laughs) That's not, that's not what we're doing. Which is neither Christian nor science. Nor science, which is super (laughs) ironic. Um. We we shouldn't this this isn't like a blast to the face political movement, but we are called to be gathering, called to be the right. called out ones, um, and that can't happen through your laptop or through Amazon Fire Stick or Roku, wherever you watch your church services. We understand providential hindering, we we get that uh, as far as taking care of your neighbor, right? But we are the called out ones. We are to be the assembly of Christ and taking care of each other's needs and. And technology and social media doesn't do that. Um, yep. So, wasn't planning on necessarily going on that path, but I think it's we the natural to do that outcome. A lot. Yeah, I think it's the natural outcome when we talk yep. about this I stuff. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Right on, man. Cool. Well, that concludes Church Through the Ages. That's it. It's over. It's over, but we've only just begun. And this episode is? Say it. What? This episode is? This episode is is good. In the can. In the can. <laughs> In the can. It's a call out. <laughs> Do you know what that is? No. You don't know what that is? No. I thought if anybody knew what it was, it, it would be you. In the can. As soon as I said this episode is, my wife, because she she's very nice and she listens to this, she'd be screaming, oh, fierce marriage. Fierce marriage, oh, fierce marriage, fierce, fierce marriage. marriage. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, sorry. It's in the can, guys. It's in the can. Anyways, yeah, that's the it, can, man. I don't we, think we can steal that from other podcasts, though. No, we can't. It just popped into my head, so I figured I would say it. It oh. made my wife probably very happy. Oh. But it was very... This has been awesome. I cannot wait to dig deeper into some of these things, especially some of these things that I don't know about, um, or at least clearly, like the medieval period. I think we do ourselves a disservice by thinking our 
Protestant church history starts in 1517. So I'm super excited to dig into some of those. I'm excited to see where this podcast goes from here now that we've set this base layer. Yeah, man. Interviews or whatever that might bring and stuff. And we're just really excited for that. Cool. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Yes. We will see you next time. Next time.